The modern data stack has been a gigantic leap forward. It feels cutting edge, but might there be an even newer frontier? In this podcast episode, I take another trip down the Web3 rabbit hole with Danny Zuckerman, co-founder at 3Box. We discussed what does the Web3 version of the modern data stack look like? What is the value of decentralized data? And to whom is it valuable? I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did and feel free to reach out to me with any thoughts. Let's dive in. Danny, I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast today. You are squarely at the intersection of the data world and the Web3 world, which I'm both very interested in. And I'm excited to particularly, I think, help folks like me who are listening to this podcast coming from the Web2 world, help them understand why Web3 might be relevant to them and especially why it might be relevant to the data world. So thanks for joining us today. Of course, excited to be here, Allison. To start out, can you tell us about exactly what your company does and how you got started? So I'm one of the founders of 3Box Labs, and we got started about four years ago. We had actually been working together even before that for a couple of years, trying to make decentralized and especially composable data possible for application developers to, to build products and services with the web. And so what that really means is there has been a vision for quite a long time, going back to the dawn of the web and Tim Berners-Lee, who is still working on it to this day, of a, an internet where the data that's generated that powers most of the web, instead of being isolated and fragmented on siloed servers behind each individual application, is instead shared and shared across apps and products and services and hyperlinked together so that you can build on it in really interesting ways and in ways that give you a much more seamless and powerful experience across the web. And... To do that, you need a few new primitives that didn't exist before Web3, in particular, a decentralized way to manage this data, which is often talked about as decentralized identities as the way to route to and, and manage this data, and then actually the way to store this data itself in a decentralized way. And so we got started to build that. The last couple of years, our focus has been entirely on specking, building, and shipping Ceramic, which is a decentralized network for composable data that is open source and open in kind of every uh, every way that eventually the community will fully kind of govern and control. So that's a bit about what we've been up to. For the lay folks out here, can you explain a little bit about what decentralized data means? And then also, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your perspective about what open source means in your context as well, and whether it's different from open source in a Web2 world. So decentralized means so many different things. So it's good to ask that question. And frankly, we should get away from using that as the, the leading term in our space. For us, what it really means is the opposite of siloed. And siloed is kind of the result of centralized data. And so the goal for when we talk about decentralized data is less about let's get every app or every app's data to be stored on each of our phones and laptops and away from AWS, you know, like data centers, like that is one form of decentralized data. But it's actually the control plane for data that we really care about decentralizing. So Again, all of these apps and products and services that we use online are powered by basically code and data to dramatically oversimplify. And the data is what kind of fills them with information, makes them very rich and makes them very useful. and also makes the apps that aggregate lots of users and data very powerful because they have these data lock-in and, and network effects. And so the idea of decentralized data is let's remove this really powerful data from the silos of any one application or platform. 
so that the data that I have access to on a random new mom and pop e-commerce store is exactly the same as what I might see on a Shopify store on Amazon or anywhere else. And when we say decentralized, what we really mean is changing the, what, what is often called the owner, but we really think of as the controller of data from single monolithic platforms to anyone who participates in building or using the web and really pushing control to the edges so that data can be brought from app to app and follow us around our experiences. And anything you would add about what open source means in your context? Open source is most commonly talked about for software and massive amounts. Most of the web today runs at least to some degree on open source software. What it enabled was apps everywhere to use the same code, not recreate redundant code that did the same thing. So it saved massive amounts of time and created this composable software stack that the web now runs on. Blockchains, which is kind of the tip of the spear of Web3, but not all of it, is basically if open source was for code, blockchains are for finance. So it's like open finance. It's a way to store this financial assets in an open, shared, composable way where you now have what people call money Legos that you can build on top of. Same thing, get rid of this redundancy and fragmentation, build all together. We talk about open data as the final piece of this Web3 stack, where again, the same idea, instead of fragmented, redundant, every app, has to have a bunch of backend engineers design their data model, run a bunch of servers and, you know, completely the same as every other app kind of build the same data sources and, and data sets and, and data management tools. Instead, open data, single set of protocols and networks on which all this data is modeled and managed and shared and composed upon and much more efficient, much more powerful because you get to share these same data across applications. So it's really an extension of what started with open source software. I know there's a lot of debate broadly in the industry about what are the benefits of decentralization versus what are the benefits of centralization? I think given security concerns and others, sometimes centralization kind of makes a comeback. So what do you think is the value proposition for decentralization specifically for data? I think there's many. The biggest one, though, in my mind is this composability, the ability to natively share data across the boundary of any given application or platform. And that just makes every piece of data more valuable because now it can be used in more contexts. And instead of having to recreate it everywhere or have a limited experience with each app, you now have your whole identity, your whole set of data with you to interact with. The, you know, we, we have that in a super limited way on the web today through APIs, right? Like that's how centralized services have tried to make their data shareable beyond boundaries. But it requires an explicit decision by the company to give access to that it is dependent on how they've opened up their API. Often those are metered. And also it requires like one-off integrations every single time you want to share that data. And so it's a super, super limited form of composability. And it's also always at the risk of that platform or, or app turning off that API, which Twitter did with all their developers and Facebook has done with all their developers. And Anytime someone builds up enough power, they just do it. And so this is a way to have native composability, a single API for any data that you want to get to. That's not the entire benefit of decentralization, but it's the one that we think is going to drive the most adoption and the most, especially startups will capitalize on because now instead of having to build their user base and data set and social graph from zero all the way up by themselves, now they build on an open social graph, open data set, all the users existing data. And so they get to very quickly leap ahead to where they would have been otherwise. I think the Facebook example that you shared is a really compelling one because, you know, we've seen how much, as you said, Facebook has really amassed a lot of power because they can set limits around who can access their data. 
I'm wondering, in a world where data is decentralized, do you think there will be less of a tendency toward monopoly, that there will be greater distribution of power among players? Will there be more competition? How do you see it? Yeah, 100%. I mean, there will always be vectors towards centralization. So this will not eliminate some of that forever. But yeah, Facebook, people talk a lot about censorship when it comes to Facebook or Twitter or some of these other big social platforms because they have so much power and we live there and they do have this censorship power that is so important. But that is tiny compared to the much bigger issue, which is the lack of innovation that happens because nobody can compete with Facebook, even with far superior products because Facebook just has such an entrenched advantage with the social graph and the data that they have. And so when users can opt to take their data with them to to use multiple products at the same time, that lock-in isn't there. And so the bar for competition is much, much lower and the switching costs are much, much lower. And so not only does competition rise and you get some power away from Facebook, when competition rises, innovation picks off. And so traditional web, we often hear people talk about the need for 10x better product, a new note-taking app or a new social network or whatever has to be 10x better before people are willing to go through the pain of switching away from one to the other, because it is a real pain to switch. But when you can take all your data with you, it's not zero pain to switch, but it's not very much. And I regularly switch between, for example, Zapperfy and Zerion, which are you know, DeFi apps that access the same underlying data because they do slightly different things. And when you can switch that fast, you don't need a 10x better product. You need just a slightly better product, and then you can start using it. And so one product might not be 10x better, but very, very quickly with that compounding innovation, you're 100x better than you were before. And so that permissionless innovation is what we think is really the most exciting part of composable data, which we think is the most valuable part of decentralized data. Do you think that Web3 data companies will replace Web2 data companies in the future? It's a provocative question in part because there's so much attention being paid to the Web2 data space right now. I mean, they command enormous valuation multiples. There's so much innovation happening. Probably thousands of companies that are attempting to produce a product in this space. If actually those are soon going to be disrupted by Web3 data companies, that's very interesting. What do you think that disruption path might look like if it exists at all? I think a lot of them are saved for quite a while. But I also think that there's the trend from Web1 to Web2 to Web3. And then there's the companies that serve the infrastructure underneath them. And this is an imperfect analogy, but when we went from web one to web two, on-prem databases didn't completely disappear. There's still a role for them in certain circumstances. And similarly, as we go from web two to web three, centralized databases and centralized model for data won't completely disappear. There's still a role for them for near term, for anything that's like super, super low latency requirements, because decentralization does come at some costs, including latency, but web apps were higher latency than native apps, but they had all these other benefits. So people adopted them. But for certain very, very sensitive data, you should not put it on an open network, even encrypted. And so there will always be a need for some form of even distributed, but centralized database storage running you know, very rapid analytics or AI models, like maybe you want to have a centralized data warehouse for those things. So there's things in that data stack that I think even as the web shifts from web two to web three, those companies can adapt and play a very big role. But I do think that in the order of three, five years, I hope, no new app is going to be built with a web two silo database model from the beginning. The benefits of building in this web three model where you're giving more data, you're not having to run a backend yourself. You're building on this composable ecosystem of, of data and data models will just be so much 
bigger, then no one would think to try to compete with all of that on their own. And so it won't happen all at once, but I do think it will start to happen more and more rapidly pretty soon. It's so interesting. I'm wondering how the split of Web 2 and Web 3 will work. For example, do you imagine a Web 3 first data company having a centralized solution as one of the products that they sell? Or could you imagine customers buying Web 2 solutions for some use cases and also the same company having a Web 3 solution for another use case? It's an interesting question. I definitely think there will be a mixture in the stack that companies will use a combination of centralized databases and Web3 distributed databases. Just like companies today build their applications on a whole bunch of different databases. You know, you don't necessarily see like a pure Postgres shop. Might be Postgres for one thing and MongoDB for another, depending on what use case it's called for. So I think similarly, especially in the next few years, you'll see applications built with some stuff stored in a centralized server and and analytics services and like all these extremely sophisticated products that are built up on the web 2 stack but then for very core things when they need to tap into this composability they'll use web 3 data and then more and more the web 3 stack will get more mature more and more products will either be built or migrated over to serve them and more things will migrate over but i think that will be a mixture for quite a while for sure for the companies that do decide to procure Web3 data solutions, what are the benefits to them like in a concrete way? And, and what might be the benefits to the end users of those Web3 customers? The benefits to the end users, I'll start with that. People often talk about they'll have control of their data. They'll be able to have the same experience from app to app. They'll have lower switching costs. All of these are true and I think dramatically undervalued. But it is very hard to get end users to take action on behalf of any of these like fairly abstract benefits, including privacy, which is one reason that we've always focused on serving developers, not end users as, as the route to get all of this adopted. But I think what the real feeling that end users will get and when they'll kind of really realize the power of this is it's much more subtle. They'll just start to go to applications and have all of their data follow them there and have like a way more customized experience and a way better experience and way higher value of service. And they won't feel like each time they go to a new app, they bend themselves to that app and its forms and its onboarding and its social graph and all of that. Instead, the internet kind of bends to them and becomes their metaverse to use the, the term that is sticking now. And similar to how like very quickly, once we all had iPhones and everything was cloud, it became like extremely painful to not have access to your Google Docs or not have access to your messages or whatever, even when you were like traveling and away from home or like once we felt it, we could never go back. And it's going to be like that, but it's just in a different set of dimensions. For developers, it's speed and cost of power are the things that you get when you build on the web 3D stack. So building on a shared data infrastructure, you don't have to stand up your own backend. You don't have to run the backend and maintain it. That's all happening on shared infrastructure. So as a front-end developer, or pretty soon even as a visual developer, what Mudflow likes to call their kind of no-code coders, you'll be able to build a full application very, very quickly because you don't need to build a backend. You just like pick and choose the data models for the for the features you want. You want your social graph, your blog post, you just use existing ones. And that's your data model. And then you throw it into the front-end and now you have a full stack app. So build something much faster, get it adopted much faster because users bring their own data to you. And so now you have an entire social graph right off the bat um, because you should bring it with them and you don't need everyone to come adopt you because you know, it'd be the equivalent of like if Evernote, Google Docs and Notion all natively interacted, 
well, like I could choose to use Notion while some of my team was still using Evernote. We all got to what we want and everybody gets to still, comp- you know, collaborate on the same data. Um, you get that for everything. And so as a startup or a new app, you can start to build a real user base uh, without a massive leap while at the beginning. And you get much more powerful experiences because because of that composability, the experience that you're delivering to your users doesn't necessarily end when they leave your application because, you know, they might write a blog post on your app because you have the best you know, writing interface. Then they go to another app that's using the same underlying set of content, the same blog post, but a whole bunch of comments are being made there because it's designed more for social. Well, when people come back to your app, like those comments come with them too. And so the total experience that you're delivering is much wider than it can be if you need to attract users back to your app at every moment to create more data and interaction and engagement. To make things more concrete for the audience, who are your target customers? If you could name maybe sectors, segments of those sectors, even specific companies, that would be great. Right now, we are purely working in the, the core Web3 community. So everybody building on top of ceramic today are part of either kind of a blockchain ecosystem, building blockchain applications or distributed data applications, basically people who are already believers in some of the value propositions of this more distributed way of building applications on this Web3 vision. The reason for that is there are trade-offs to this tech, including speed and reliability um, in certain ways. In, in some, it's comparable or even better to um, centralized databases, but um, we're working with the people who kind of already want this. Mostly folks that have been building the Ethereum ecosystem, because that's where we have spent the last five years. Um, and so that's where the community mostly comes from. The, the things that they're building, um, a lot of collaboration tools. This is everything from note-taking to future of work stuff to communication. But, you know, the hot term is DAOs, these organizations that don't necessarily have a traditional org structure. But it's really any project that wants to collaborate more fluidly, which benefits from this composable data. People can kind of collaborate on much more naturally. So there's a ton of stuff happening there. A ton of reputation-related projects where reputational data is aggregating around a user. So this can be work you've done, projects you've completed, your an import of your financial history to get a decentralized credit score. All of these things are being built on Ceramic today and decentralized social. So again, we're so locked into Twitter and Facebook and some of these other platforms. That means not only do they have a lot of power, but the softer side of that or, or the more subtle side of that is we've seen no innovation in social media for so long because nobody can compete. So there's tons of innovation happening now in Web3 style social, starting with things that look like clones of these massive social apps, but then can very quickly diverge and innovate without users having to like fork and opt out of those because again, they're sharing the same underlying data. And so projects like Orbis and CyberConnect are building on ceramic for that kind of use case. Danny, I'd love to get an understanding of your view of what the modern data stack would look like in the Web3 context. And especially if you have thoughts on what the analogs for Web2 companies would be in the Web3 context, that would be an interesting translation. I do think that the stack is still in some ways sorting itself out and it won't be similar to like the the Web2 data stack, but probably more so it won't be a super clean stack. There's going to be so many different protocols that play very thin layers and plug in in different ways. And we don't know exactly what that looks like yet. But to do the high level piece and the analogies, like a raw storage layer, what would be data centers in Virginia with AWS, that's things like Filecoin and Arweave. And those provide at this point, very well proven distributed file storage. And they're doing more and more, but, but that piece is proven. 
Then on top of that, you have the database layer. I called Ceramic a distributed database earlier. That's only half true. Ceramic is like the right side of a database. So writing transactions to a dynamic data protocol that then can be stored on Cloudpoint or are we the flip side to the right side is reading, indexing data and making it queryable, which is really powerful in Web3 because this data can be kind of indexing all these different data protocols, blockchains, and are we even Filecoin and Ceramic, and making it all queryable in a single API and making that all accessible to an application in one very easy interface. So that's kind of the read side to Ceramic's write side. And then on top of that is to dramatically oversimplify lots of different SDKs and dev tools that wrap these up and add different features and different components to them to make it really easy for developers to build on top of. Because you know, we have you know, huge believers in devs really want to choose the right stack and right permutations for themselves. And so these protocols need to be wrapped together in different ways, in flexible ways for developers to build on top of them. Other pieces of data stack, there's a bunch of messaging protocols to share like messaging between different applications in centralized way, including XXP and EPNS and others. Lots of analytics protocols and re-engagement protocols that can use this data. There's identity and data kind of companies like Spruce and Privy that are adding like more, you know, more sophisticated privacy and authentication and permissioning models to all of this. And so right now, again, it's kind of stack is still coming together, but all these pieces are starting to kind of, and the last one I guess I should say is the wallet layer, like authentication to actually sign these messages and manage this data. So Magic and Web3Auth and MetaMask and, and others um, and Phantom is kind of the most user-facing of this stack. In closing, Danny, I'd love to know, are you recruiting for any interesting roles right now that perhaps members of the audience would like to learn about? Of course, we're hiring a product lead, someone that's taken some data products to market before and tons of interesting things around building this data ecosystem, as well as the data products that this person would oversee. Protocol engineers, whether that's from a cryptography background or distributed systems background, um, but kind of helping build out the core protocol, a community lead to help architect and shape the developer community in Ceramic, which has been growing more rapidly than we can keep up with. A bunch of others too. They're all on careers.3boxlabs.com. Great. Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really educational conversation. I learned a lot about how the data space, which I'm really interested in, it might evolve in the future. And I wish you the best of luck in helping to champion that innovation. Thanks a lot, Allison. This is a lot of fun. <laughs>